This morning we are concluding our series on uh, Philemon, the gospel of the upside down. We've been going through this book verse by verse. It's really more of a letter than a book. And just as the images on the screen slowly turn upside down, uh, that's what the gospel does to us. It turns our worldview upside down. Uh, The gospel is about the grace and mercy of God in Jesus. And for those of us who've accepted Jesus um, and received that grace and mercy, it does something to us. It changes us. Uh, Some of the things that used to seem right now seem wrong, and some of the things that used to seem wrong now seem right. Um, As Paul wrote in Philippians, the things that I considered a gain, for me, I now consider a loss. And so the gospel challenges and changes our value. And there's a fairly common phrase that when things happen in the world that we don't completely agree with, where we say, you know, that's just how the world works. It's just how the world works. And, but sometimes the way the world works isn't okay. Um, and just because the world works that way doesn't mean we work that way. Um, God's grace and mercy transforms us to live by kingdom of God values. Uh, quick background to the letter. Um, it's from the, Paul, the apostle, who wrote most of the letters of the New Testament. And he wrote it while he was a prisoner in Rome. And he writes it to uh, Philemon, who lives in a city named Colossus, which is located in modern-day Turkey. Um, he's a wealthy follower of Jesus who is also a slave owner. And the letter is regarding Onesimus, who is a runaway slave of Philemon. Um, He fled 1,200 miles to Rome. He became a follower of Jesus through Paul. And he is sent back with the letter to his master, Philemon. And this letter, it was written 2,000 years ago in a different culture, different part of the world. Um, And it's about trying to reconcile a slave owner with a runaway slave. And we've been going through this letter verse by verse. In the first week, we saw that Paul is trying to persuade Philemon. He places himself beneath Philemon. He makes his plea to him public. He affirms Philemon's um, partnership and character and influence. In the second week, Paul appeals for Onesimus, we saw. Um, Paul doesn't want to only change Philemon's behavior Um, And he wants Philemon to see that when you treat people with love, it makes them more human, not less. And Paul asks for Philemon to not act on his rights. And even though Onesimus is the bad guy because he's the runaway slave, um, he is still useful. And then last week, we saw Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon. um, And the action of sending him back shows Paul's values. And Paul shares his virtue of worth for Onesimus, and Paul models his values rather than enforcing them. And Paul invites Philemon to see, that, uh, to see Onesimus with new eyes. And so this morning we're going to dive into the last part of the letter. I'm going to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to go ahead and open to it. It's a little hard to find because it's so short. And our Bibles, if you borrowed one of ours, it's page number 967. If you're struggling to find it in your Bibles, um, it's right before the book of Hebrews. Our scripture reader this morning, we've asked Cindy Anton to read that. And so Cindy, if you can make your way on up to the podium. If you are able, please stand and face the center of the room. 
So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one, more thi- and one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Je- Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This morning, I want us to see the cost of reconciliation. Uh, in verse 17, Paul, uh, he identifies, he identifies with Onesimus. If you look in your Bibles to verse 17 there, where it says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Um, it's a pretty well-known fact that I am an obnoxious Green Bay Packer fan. Um, now, Packer fans were kind of funny in the sense that we seem to have this strange bond. Uh, once we find out someone else is a Packer fan, we have this strange bond. And that's true of all diehard sports fans. But um, several years ago, I was at Disneyland in California with my family. Who's been Disneyland California? I just want to see. Just raise your hands. It's okay. All right. Um, we were in Tomorrowland, not far from Star Tours, and if you've been there on a busy day, you know that part of the park, it's like a bottleneck. It is packed with uh, people on a busy day, even on a non-busy day, that, that's just a bottleneck there. And so we were, um, uh, I had on my Green Bay Packer t-shirt, not a jersey, nothing fancy, just a t-shirt, and um, walking through that area, trying to navigate our way through the sea of people, and from some direction, I hear someone yell at me, go pack! Yeah, there you go. You can't escape it. It's everywhere. Um, And now I'm messed up. Uh, That's exactly what happened to me at Disneyland. I was like, what in the world? What happened there? And so I I realized, oh, I have my Packer shirt on. Later that same day, we're in Frontierland, not far from Thunder Mountain. And same thing, go pack! Um, This kind of thing has happened to me uh, here at church. It's happened to me um, at airports. It's happened to me um, in movie theaters, in restaurants, or walking by. I happen to have my Packer shirt on, and someone yells, go pack. Um, I I kind of, I don't know how anyone in Wisconsin gets anything done, because I just envision them walking around yelling to each other, go pack, go pack, go pack, go pack. Um, uh, I'm going to test this. Next time, if I ever travel overseas again, uh, I'm going to, I've never worn a Packer shirt overseas, but I'm going to do that. You know, I've been to Israel a couple times, and I don't know if I'll ever make it back there, but if I do, I kind of want to wear my Packer shirt in old Jerusalem, uh, not far from the Western Wall, just to see what happens, to see if I can pull that off. We have this strange bond, we do. Um, Paul says, partner, if you consider me a partner. That partner is a reference to fellowship in the faith. If I've accepted Jesus and you've accepted Jesus, we now have this bond in the faith. You and I are both a part of the body of Christ, this family 
of faith. That belonging to Christ that both you and I have, that is called fellowship. Now, in church, in the church, we use this term fellowship, and I I really think we misuse it, because basically we call fellowship anytime we hang out together. Um, Fellowship is much deeper than that. Fellowship is a bond that our faith in Christ forges. And because of that bond, Paul identifies with Onesimus, and because of that fellowship, Paul says to Philemon, welcome Onesimus. And Paul is basically saying, treat him how you would treat me. And that reminds me of a parable Jesus told about the sheep and the goats, where he says, the king will say, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. And the righteous will say to the king, when did we ever see you like that and give you something to eat or something to drink or something to wear? And Jesus said, whenever you do, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Jesus identifies with the least of these. And Paul basically does the same thing. He identifies with Onesimus. Last week, Pastor John shared this cool Greek word, splanknon, splanknon. Um, And it was a word that Paul used to describe his relationship with Onesimus. It basically means that they were indistinguishable. Like you can't have one without the other. And so Paul says, treat your runaway slave like you would treat me. Then in verses 18 and 19, Paul promises to pay Onesimus' debt. He promises to pay his debt. If you look in your Bibles at those verses where he says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Now, many of the letters that Paul wrote, he didn't literally write. He would dictate them to a scribe. He was still the author of the letters, but a scribe would write down his words. Now, some people speculate that Paul couldn't see very well, which is why he needed a scribe. Um, While we don't know why, uh, Paul often had a scribe to write for him. But this part of the letter, Paul takes the pen and says, I am writing this with my own hand. I will pay you back whatever he owes you. As I shared a couple weeks ago, uh, there was a good chance that in addition to being a runaway slave, Onesimus also stole from Philemon. And so Paul doesn't ask Philemon to forget about the debt. Paul offers to pay for it because that's how much this reconciliation matters. And this is often where reconciliation breaks down because there is a cost to be paid and no one really wants to pay it. Um, I, you can judge me if you want for this. I really like the show The Big Bang Theory. Any Big Bang Theory fans? Okay. All right, Uh, not as many went to Disneyland, but that's okay. Um, 
Uh, the show, for those of you who don't watch it, it's, it's a show about some really smart nerds. It's basically what it's about. Um, Sheldon, Leonard, Raj, Howard. And it's about their interaction with this beautiful girl named Penny, who is not as smart as they are. And one of the storylines of the show is this romantic relationship between Leonard and Penny. And they often, throughout the show, they get, up in, they get in some kind of fight. And so after one really bad fight, Leonard wants to try to make up, wants to make up for his part of the fight. And so he calls a florist, and he asks the florist, how much would it be for 100 long stem roses? He pauses, listens to the answer, and says, okay, how much would it be for three? <laughs> and that's the problem. We don't want to pay the debt. You see, when someone has wronged someone else, in order for there to be reconciliation, a cost must be paid. And the cost may be a material cost, or it may be an emotional cost, or it may cost us pride, but a cost must be paid. Either the person who did the wrong makes restitution, or the person wronged forgives the debt. But a cost must be paid, and Paul says, I will pay that cost. In verses 20 and 21, Paul is confident. He's confident that Philemon will do the right thing. If you look in your Bibles to those verses, where it says, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. See, Paul isn't confident because of his persuasion skills. He is confident because they have this connection, this fellowship of faith. And because of their fellowship, Paul believes that Philemon will accept Onesimus back. And Paul even expects Philemon to do more than he is asking. Well, what more could that be? Well, to do something only a slave owner could do, which is free his slave. Free Onesimus and send him back to Paul so that Onesimus can continue to be a benefit to Paul, which would refresh Paul's heart. One thing that makes us different as followers of Christ is that the gospel of Jesus matters to us. So a question we ask is what is best for the gospel of Christ? And Paul knew this would matter to Philemon. So he was confident that Philemon would do what was best for the gospel, which then would in turn refresh Paul's heart. Now, I've said this before. Um, you do not know. Um, whenever I see you do something for the benefit of the faith, for the benefit of the community of faith, it is a huge encouragement to me. It refreshes my faith. It really spurs me to continue on in the faith. You do not know how encouraging it is to me to see you act on your faith. And so I understand Paul's confidence here, I really do, because just like he knew that Philemon would act for the benefit of the faith, I know that if I or another staff member here 
or an elder or deacon or whatever, asks some of you to do something for the sake of the faith or for the sake of TFRC, you will do it. Children's ministry. It takes over 150 volunteers to help with that, and you do it. Uh, Youth ministry. In May, we're going to have this carne asada fundraiser. And I know that four to 500 of you will come to support the youth. Um, Men's choir, worship machine, worship team. That's over 100 more of you who um, help with that. Um, We do dinners on Mondays and Wednesdays. And there are a couple of dozen of you that help feed 1,200 people a month. Uh, Young at Heart, Sunshine Circle, Young Moms Group, Summit Sisters. That's another couple dozen of you who form those leadership teams. Feed the need. We already have received thousands and thousands of food items from you. And that's just some of the things. Some of the things that happen here. Plus, all the things that you do because of your faith outside of TFRC. The one thing that makes us different as followers of Christ is that the gospel of Jesus matters to us, and we ask the question, what is best for the gospel of Christ? Paul is confident that Philemon will do what is best for the gospel of Christ. In verse 22, Paul says that he himself will be coming. If you um, look at that verse in your Bibles, he says, And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. This visit is again a reference to their shared fellowship. Philemon is most likely and most likely, Philemon and most likely the church that meets in his house, they've been praying for Paul. And now Paul is saying, I will be coming to you. Not as a threat, but as a joyous reunion. In essence, hey, we're going to get to see each other again. And then in verses 23 and 24, Paul invokes friends. If you look at those verses in your Bible, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. And so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. It's another reminder of the fellowship. Epaphras, Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, they all say hi. They send you their greetings. Um, Mark, the cousin to Barnabas that some of you may know from the book of Acts. Um, Mark is also possibly the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. Uh, Luke, Paul's traveling companion, an author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Just as Paul makes his plea public at the beginning of the letter, he includes others from the fellowship of faith at the end of the letter. Look, reconciliation, it costs something. And being a part of the community of faith costs something. But we are all in this together. And this list of greetings is a reminder that Philemon is a part of a movement that is bigger than himself. And that movement has continued to this day, and it's a movement that all of us are a part of too. In verse 25, Paul closes the letter by offering a blessing. He offers a blessing. If you look in your Bibles to that verse at the very last sentence, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
be with your spirit. What is the basis of their faith? What is the basis of their fellowship? What is the basis of taking Onesimus back? It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the world differently. There is a lot of injustice in the world, and there are a lot of victims of injustice in the world. And we always need to be at work at righting these wrongs. And all of us have been a victim of some kind of wrong. Some of the wrongs we've experienced cannot be made up for. Some of the wrongs that we've committed cannot be made up for. And we can never move forward if we can't get past our pain, which is where forgiveness comes into play. We all need to forgive so that we can move forward because all of us also need to be forgiven. The debt we owe for the wrong we've committed is more than we can pay. And the good news is that Jesus paid the cost for our reconciliation. God wanted to reconcile the world to himself. And there was many, many wrongs that needed to be made right. And so Jesus paid the cost of our debt. Where do you think Paul got the idea to pay for Onesimus's debt? Paul paid the debt that Onesimus owed Philemon because Jesus paid Paul's debt. Paul's thinking, hey, if I'm going to try to bring reconciliation here, then I'm going to pay the debt. For Paul, the reconciliation between Onesimus and Philemon was worth the price. Jesus wanted to save the world, not condemn it. And so he paid the debt because the reconciliation between us and God was worth the price. Why did this letter make it into the Bible? It's a letter between Paul and the house of Philemon. It's about a personal matter that didn't really apply to the rest of the church. It's a different time from us, a different culture, a different place where slaves and slave owners were normal. What does this letter have to say to us? Well, as Pastor John shared last week in Ecclesiastes 1.9, it says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. It was a different time for, from us. It was a different culture. It was a different place. Again, it was where slaves and slave owners were normal occurrences. But quite honestly, we often think that the ancients were so much different than us or maybe that we are so much different from the ancients. We're really not. Yeah, our technology is advanced and that's about it. The letter shows the ongoing power of the gospel. The letter shows the ongoing power of the gospel. We live in a time where we have lost the ability to disagree without disliking. 
Yes, in our society and in politics, but also with our friends and with our family and with our co-workers and, without our, and throughout our community. We somehow cannot figure out how we disagree without disliking. It seems to be the way the world works now. But this is a story about the gospel of the upside down. And we need to hear about how the gospel can bring together a slave owner and a runaway slave, two people who have every reason to despise each other and bring them to reconciliation. We need those kinds of stories to reconcile with someone that you have a serious conflict with because of the gospel of Jesus. I cannot think of many other things more relevant to us right now than that. And this letter speaks it to our lives. Why did this letter make it to the Bible? Well, we don't know much about Onesimus. He's mentioned in the letter to the Colossians where Paul says, Onesimus can give you a report about what's happening with me. And the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon were probably delivered at the same time. And if you remember, Philemon lived in the city of Colossus. Colossus is located in modern-day Turkey. Another city in modern-day Turkey was, is a city called Ephesus. Ephesus, during the Roman Empire, was the third largest city in it, behind Rome, behind Alexandria, then there was Ephesus. One of Paul's converts, Timothy, was the bishop, the leader in Ephesus, which given the fact that Ephesus was an important city in the Roman Empire, it was a strategic place for the church to be too. And so Timothy is the leader, the bishop of Ephesus. You may be familiar with Timothy as the bishop um, because uh, Paul wrote two letters that we have in our New Testaments to Timothy while he was the bishop in Ephesus. Um, the person who followed Timothy as the bishop of Ephesus was a man named Onesimus. And church tradition has long believed that the bishop Onesimus was the same as the runaway slave Onesimus which would explain why this letter survived and was cherished by the church because the letter showed the ongoing power of the gospel. This reconciliation that happened between Philemon and Onesimus, it had this ripple effect. It went from impacting just the slave and the slave owner to providing the church with a key leader in a key city. And so who knows how many others were impacted by Onesimus' ministry, which could only happen because this reconciliation with him and Philemon happened. Or over the last 2,000 years, how many people have been impacted by this letter because this reconciliation happened? Paul says in, the letter, in his letter to the Romans, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Look, Reconciliation can only take place if two sides help make it happen. You cannot do it all by yourself. And there's a good chance that it's going to cost you something, even if you try. But every time you are able to reconcile with someone, 
It's a big deal. Whether it's a big conflict or a little conflict, the ripple effect of that reconciliation, it is immeasurable. And that is the message of the gospel. It's a message of amazing grace. Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate act of reconciliation. God reconciling the world to himself. And Jesus rose from the grave. And the power of the resurrection continues to change lives. 2,000 years later, the ongoing power of the gospel. And we continue to see the ripple effect of that ultimate act. And for those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Savior, amazing grace lives in us. And it defines who we are. We are now a part of the ministry of reconciliation. And so how much, I think it's a great question for us to ask, how much of our lives are defined by the ministry of reconciliation? In my lifetime, we have never needed to take up this mantle more than today. Because Jesus died, we have been reconciled. Because Jesus rose from the grave, we joined the ministry of reconciliation. Because the gospel turns our worldview upside down. It may not be the way the world works, but it's the way we work. We do not win when the other side loses. We have already won because we've been reconciled to God. And the resurrection demonstrates the power of that victory. And so we are inspired to carry the ministry of reconciliation to our friends and, more importantly, to our enemies. Because Jesus died and rose again. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news. It's good news that the whole world needs to experience. Please pray with me. And Lord, we thank you for that amazing grace that for many of us here it's, has softened our hearts and has changed our lives. And so Lord, I would ask that your spirit would empower us to have that amazing grace that lives in us becomes the thing that defines us. And Lord, give us um, strength and wisdom in how we bring about reconciliation because Lord, it's not always up to us how that works out. But Lord, I would, help, I would ask that you would help us be willing to pay the cost it costs sometimes to reach out in the ministry of reconciliation. And we thank you again for the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. And receive God's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.